you be turning to the book of Leviticus? The book of Leviticus. I'm going to stand on the floor this afternoon. I decided I was going to come up with some kind of uh, formula. I think I'll call it the pasta formula. So based on how much pasta we have at lunch and whether or not I need to stand down here so, uh, and, and be a little closer to grab those who are struggling or not. Uh, maybe it's a carb count. I'm not sure what the best thing to call it will be. But, you know, some of you uh, whose kids have been in the youth group may be familiar uh, there's a formula for youth ministers to figure out how much pizza to buy. You know, you take the number of kids and pizzas and slices and you divide out. So maybe I need a timer formula uh, based on the number of carbs we have at lunch every day. I will say that I told uh, Carter's parents that I don't think he'll sleep for about a month during services after I called his name this morning. So I, and I told Carter I didn't intend to do that. That was not premeditated at all. Uh, I had thought about Memphis being on there and making a joke about Memphis uh, but I didn't intend to call Carter's name, and he was looking down, though I don't think he was sleeping. But either way, he, his eyes shot up, and I don't think he'll sleep for a while. So even though he's closest, I'm going to leave him alone for a little bit. So, uh, no, just to kind of mix things up from time to time, uh, you know, uh, the way we do our afternoon service. This afternoon, we are going to go through a his, history lesson. And so if you don't like history, you may say, well, this is going to put me uh, right to sleep. But uh, we are going to take a look at the last three books of the Pentateuch, the law, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, as I mentioned, we've done this before as a book of the month, which each one lasted about 30, you know, 30, 35 minutes. So but we're really just going to take a, a surface uh, look to think about, because as we talked about this morning with Exodus, um, and there is... You know, the story of Moses is mainly, the stories are mainly in Exodus, but also as we think about Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy being a part of that, even though, even though the preacher will willingly concede, they're the hardest to read most of the time. They're the hardest to get through. And we'll touch on kind of why that is in a little bit here this afternoon. Uh, by means of reminder here, just to start, again, this is the map that we looked at this morning, uh, and you can kind of see, hopefully, uh, the red line that starts and drops down and then comes back up the other side in the path that the children of Israel took. I'm still kind of trying to decide the best way to package this where maybe it'll stick in your mind. Last week, that's why I used that kind of timeline. And some of you say, well, that really helped me. Some of you say that doesn't. I thought about kind of numbering things. But when we look back at the Old Testament, it's easy to get overwhelmed and to not realize the place of everything. But when you break it down a little bit as we've tried to do, you might be able to see a little bit about how these books fit. For instance, there's a whole lot in Genesis. There's all those stories. There's uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the stories we didn't even have time to touch about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of that. And then when you get to these other four, certainly there's a lot there that's a little uh, harder to work through. So let's begin with the book of Leviticus. If you think about Leviticus, uh, we might say that Leviticus is mainly about holiness and worship. Uh, someone said that Leviticus is, the, is God's guidebook for his newly redeemed people. God's guidebook for his newly redeemed people. So let's think about our timeline again. They have just come out of the land of Egypt and they have just exited that land and they've crossed the Red Sea. That was parts one and two this morning. And now we're to part three where they're at Mount Sinai. And the question is, what now? You know, hey, this is great. We're out. Although at the same time, what do they do every time they run up against trouble? They start complaining. But we're out, so what now? And the book of Leviticus is, is ultimately God's guidebook for these newly redeemed people. It tells them how to worship. It tells them how to serve. It tells them how to live. It tells them how to obey. 
If you are God's people and he has just brought you out of the land through these plagues, through the Red Sea, what are we going to do now, God? Here's your instructions. The book of Leviticus, the title Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. That's not that difficult. We understand the tribe of Levi. It shows the duties of the Levites and the priests. And again, these are two key concepts, the idea of of, of holiness and worship. If you turn there, look beginning in chapter 2, and this is going to be a quick flip through, by the way. But in chapter 2, my Bible has a heading that says the grain offering. Yours may or may not have that. Chapter 3, the peace offering. Chapter 4, the sin offering. Chapter 5, the trespass offering. Chapter 6, the burnt offering. The law of the burnt offering. The law of the grain offering. The law of the sin offering. All of these things deal with their worship and how they were to worship God. They're supposed to offer all of these things on the right day, the right thing at the right time. And it's a lot. It just really is. But it's pertaining to the Levites and their role in, their, in the priests in guiding the people, but also how the people are to do these things, how, to, how they're to make these sacrifices. And you've heard me say it countless times, but I am unbelievably thankful that I don't have to stand down here or up here on Sunday and us open up an animal and deal with all the blood and all of those things. And, and you know, I'm not queasy. I wouldn't, I guess, mind it in that sense, but I'm thankful because Number one, that was incomplete, right? It was not enough. The Hebrew writer tells us the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. So it's not that it's pointless because God had told them, this is how you worship, this is the sacrifices you're to make. But it wasn't going to be enough until Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice. But I am, I'm thankful for that. Jesus died once for all, and now we can worship the way God has prescribed for New Testament Christians to worship, and we can understand how we are to live and worship and obey as God's redeemed people. But they leave Egypt, and we say, what now? Well, that's kind of what Leviticus is about. The first thing on the list there is holiness. Look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 2. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 2. Still talking about some laws, still talking about some things that they need to know, but it begins by saying, Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now, look down through there as you're there and notice there's some other things. Verse 4, do not turn to idols. There's a talk about the sacrifices. There's some other things that are there, some interesting things, right? Our world talks a lot today about injustice. And the New King James in verse 15 talks about not doing injustice. There's a whole list of things that are there, but it's summed up by God saying, be holy, be holy. I remember when I was growing up, the principal at the high school where I attended before I got there, uh, but he was there years before me, but I think had a, a saying that said, do right. You know, that was his saying, do right. Well, that encapsulates a lot, doesn't it? It makes it kind of easy in some ways. And yet there we also know there's a list of things that's included in that about how to do right, about how to be good to other people and kind. God says, be holy. Now, yeah, there's kind of a lot associated with that. But simply as they are thinking about setting out on their own and, and following after God, headed to Canaan's land, headed towards the promised land, be holy. Pretty soon we'll talk about Joshua, we'll talk about the book of Judges, but the emphasis there is constantly that they would not, would not separate themselves from the people of the land. They would not. 
And we often emphasize how we don't just come to this building here and live in a commune and, and we don't sell all of our things and, and all just live together off the same stuff. We don't do that. We're in the world. But the call always has been, even amongst the world, be separate, be holy. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. There are a few historical events that are included in, it, in Leviticus, okay? So as you go through a Bible reading, as you try to read this, if I say, hey, go home and read Leviticus, it's going to be hard. All right, it's not going to be easy to kind of go through and think about this because it's going to be do this offering. Here's how often you do it. Here's exactly what you need to do. And there's very few historical events when it comes to Leviticus, which, of course, is then right after the book of Exodus. If we think about Leviticus, hopefully you can make out there's a little yellow uh, circle there towards the bottom. I tried to make it where it stand out some. But basically, the book of Leviticus happens and occurs at Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the law. It's the things that pertain to the Levites and to uh, the priest. And it focuses on their worship and their walk with God. And it mainly takes place right there. So on this timeline, we went today all the way from the top left down, make a V to the top right. Leviticus is down there at the bottom at the wilderness of Sinai or Mount Sinai. Or if you can make it out there, it even on one of the maps, it calls it Mount Horeb. H-O-R-E-B. You'll also see that sometimes in Scripture. All right, let's go, back, go forward then, excuse me, to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. Numbers might be called the book of the wonderings. It could also be titled the book of murmurings, as we touched on this morning. Uh, the name actually, of course, comes from the two separate numberings of the Israelite soldiers. So if you turn there to Numbers chapter 1, notice first of all chapters 1 through 3. This is the first numbering. We won't go over it in detail because of uh, we touched on it this morning and how long it is. I told you this morning, hey, we'll do the math for you. You know, we can do that. We don't have to sit here and count each verse. If you go over to chapter uh, 1, you'll notice there's a lot of those uh, lists there. The names and then how many hundred thousand or thousand there were in each group. Uh, I was actually looking this afternoon for a piece of information. Uh, I kind of just Googled, you know, the numberings of the people. And I found a website, I didn't write it down in my notes, but that gave like charts about how much between each of the two numberings, how much each grew and how many people were associated with each tribe. It's kind of interesting if you like those things and want to look at it. But for the sake of time, we said the number was 603,550. Chapter 1 numbering number one and we talked about that taking place there as chapter one tells us verse one God spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in that tabernacle of meeting and said take a census all right let's go over then to chapter 25 chapters 25 and 26 there's a problem in chapter 25 because the children of Israel uh, commit harlotry right in Moab we just said it. Joshua judges they're intermarrying. They're not separating themselves from the people. This happens in, in chapter 25, and it's a problem. It's a problem that they're not to do that. And so in verse, excuse me, chapter 26, you may have a title that says the second census of Israel. And here they're going to take a second count. And the number this time is 601,000, 601, 730. So we're down, right? A couple thousand people or so there. The numbers have come down, but here's what we want to notice. Look at chapter 26, verses 64 and 65. A very interesting, powerful statement here. 
where it says, But among these there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except, verse 65 at the end, Caleb and Joshua. Isn't it interesting that out of 603,000 soldiers fighting men and at the beginning of the book of Numbers, only two make it to see that second numbering, Joshua and Caleb. Of course, we said ten saw bad, two saw good. Those two are the only two that make it to that second numbering. The rest of them, God said it. We noticed it this morning in Numbers chapter 14, I think it is. But we noticed it there that God says, according to the number of days the spies were gone, you'll wonder that many years and there now shall not be one left. They shall all die in the wilderness. And that's what 65, uh, verse 65 quotes. And that is the case here. It's amazing to think about this sad saga of Israel's unfaithfulness in the wilderness between Mount Sinai in, and the land of Canaan. Some people have described it as the book of murmurings due to the excessive complaining that the children of Israel did. And this is the book that details that travel. So Numbers is a little more exciting. It's kind of funny. You think Numbers and you think, I'm not reading Numbers. You know, that sounds like they're just a list of people. But Numbers actually has a lot of the action of this travel. Notice with me. Look at beginning at chapter 11 of Numbers. Chapter 11. There's more... Uh, action here. Chapter 11, the people complain. Just one of the many times in which they complain. Also in chapter 11, beginning in verse 31, there's the sending of the quail. We've talked, we mentioned the manna this morning, I think very briefly, but you remember that God also sends quail to the people so that they can have food that he provides for them. Both of those are in chapter 11. Chapter 12 is a problem because Aaron, Moses' brother, And Miriam, Moses' sister, rise up against him. They sort of start, you know, talking about him. They sort of try to to cause this division between God or between the people there. And there's this issue in verse 9. It tells us, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. And Moses is called many times the dissension of Aaron and Miriam because they have this problem with Moses. Chapters 13 and 14 detail the spies, right? We touched on that. Sending the spies, them coming back with the good and bad report. And then chapter 14 where they complain. And in the end, they get the death sentence. You will not enter the promised land. You will die here in the wilderness. Chapter 16 is the rebellion of Korah and the sons of Korah. This is one that I think I preached in that Lost in the Credit series. Uh, the sons of Korah here and the rebellion that they go through. This is one of those great Old Testament stories. It's not, not exactly gory, right? But it's kind of interesting. You remember verses 31 and 32? Because of their rebellion, it came to pass that as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. And verse 33 even, so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit 
Verse 35, And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. It's just one of those stories that is pretty vivid to read about because of the action here and the disrespect and really the word, at least in the New King James, is rebellion of Korah and those who side with him. What about chapter 21? In chapter 21, in verses 4 through 9, there's the bronze serpent. That's pretty important. You remember that in John chapter 3, when Jesus meets Nicodemus, or Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, what's the discussion about? Being born again, right, Jerry? Isn't that what you told me this morning? Being born again. But not only that, do you remember that the description there is that just as the Son of Man was lifted up, as the serpent was lifted up. So this is kind of important in chapter 21 and verses 4 through 9 with the, uh, with the bronze serpent. There's also Balaam and Balak in chapters 22 and 23. Uh, you may know that story. That's a good one to kind of review if you hadn't thought about it in a while. But certainly Numbers is a book of not just counting, but it's a book of action. It's a book of action because it's a book of murmurings, and that's what the people do there. I think I got another map, so I kind of had to highlight the whole right side of the page here, right? Because from the bottom when they leave Mount Sinai, and we said it was sometime after they left the mount that they send the spies out. And notice how far the spies had to go, all the way up off the map there on the top right-hand side. And they spy for 40 days. And then they come back and meet them, and then all those loops and going around and all that begins to happen because they've got to face their punishment for what they had done. Forty years. Now, the 40 years is counted from the time they left Egypt. This is something that you may have never thought about, and I just kind of reminded in my mind. But they don't actually spend, you know, 40 years from day one to day whatever in the wilderness. It kind of starts as they leave Egypt. And then it's included. So truly, from Mount Sinai up to the top right-hand corner is not a full 40 years, but just a part of that after they have left uh, the land of Egypt. But this is the book of Numbers, the two numberings of the people, which reminds us of their unbelief, that plague of the lack of unbelief, that having that unbelief, and then also because of the two good spies that were able to continue on. All right, the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy. Some call this Moses' masterpiece. Moses' masterpiece. Some people call it Moses' upper desert discourse. What the book of Deuteronomy is, whether you've kind of thought about it or not, is a series of farewell messages by Moses. Uh, and he's going to make it, of course, to 120 years old. We were marveling the other night uh, after services about Billy's relative that lives out in California that's made it over a hundred now and, and many years. I can't imagine getting to 120, right? Of course, we don't many times nowadays. Folks don't live that long. But just think about now, even very briefly, how we've mentioned Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Moses makes it to that side, that east side of the Jordan, because they're going to cross and they're going to go westward into Jordan. He's made it there. He's lived all these years, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows. And Deuteronomy is basically a series of lessons or, or discourses, if you will, of him um, giving these farewell messages to the children of Israel. We can really break it up into four speeches, uh, is what we might say. I didn't get these on the, the slides, so, or on different slides, but I'll give them to you real quick. Chapters 1 through 4 is a rehearsal of the past. Chapters 1 through 4 is a rehearsal of the past. He spends the first four chapters talking a lot about their history. Um, he mentions their refusal to enter the land. He mentions the desert years. 
he goes through uh, how they had gone through some battles and won some battles and how they had uh, divided the land. If you remember from uh, Joshua that two and a half tribes are going to stay on the east side. They send some of their brethren to the west to battle, but they stay over on the east side because it's that good. And so some of this is that kind of the telling of what happens there. So chapters 1 through 4 is a rehearsal of the past. Chapters 5 through 26, it's a big chunk, is the regulations of God. The regulations of God. Chapters 5 through 26, the regulations of God. Why would we call it that? Well, the name Deuteronomy means the second law or the second giving of the law. It's not a second law. It's not, hey, that first one's no good. You need to follow this one. It's just a repeat. The word deutero means second, and nomos means law. It's the second giving or the repeating of the law. I didn't mention this a moment ago, but you know what's interesting about Deuteronomy? If we do the math through the days, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, only covers 70 days. Now, if you're like me, you look back at that and you go, well, that must have been years, right? Must have been thousands of years covered in the book of Deuteronomy and numbers and all that. No, not exactly. 70 days is covered over the book of Deuteronomy. And the second part of it is that he gives the second giving of the law, the regulations. He reviews it. Here's some things you need to know. Here's the things you need to remember. All right, the third section, the third speech, if you will, is chapters 27 through 31. 27 through 31, and it is the responsibilities of Israel. The responsibilities of Israel. We don't sometimes like to think about death. We don't sometimes like to think about what would be said at our funeral or what would be on our tombstone. But if I ask you, what would you say to your children? What would you say to your grandchildren if you had a chance to speak to your, if you had grandchildren and you were on your deathbed and you, you know, you knew this was the end, this was the time, what would you say? Hopefully we'd kind of be like Moses here and, and say, here's what you need to do. Here's your responsibilities and not just the responsibilities of here's the checkbook and here's the inheritance and here's all my stuff, but here's your responsibilities as a human, as a Christian, as a follower of God. See, Moses' third discourse here is essentially responsibilities of Israel. It's to know the law and keep the law. My final words would be, his final words are to keep the law, to know it and to keep it. Because everything else is vanity. That's what the wise man is going to say, right? We're not there yet. He's not even alive yet. But the wise man, wisest of all, is going to say, it is vanity. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've only had one class We've already began to remind ourselves about the fact that we've got a lot of stuff. We don't always have a lot of money, maybe, but we've got a lot of stuff sometimes. And all that stuff is just stuff. All that stuff is stuff that's here that we can't take with us. Even though as we think about laying up treasures in heaven, we can certainly send it forward, as we began to mention on Wednesday night. But when we think about all that stuff, it's still here. Somebody's got to deal with it. It's just vanity. And what matters is living your life, going to heaven. That's what true success is, living your life and going to heaven. Because you're going to live your life. We all are living a life. True failure is living your life and missing out on heaven or not going to heaven. We're going to live. Which choice will it be? And Moses' final words here are, here's your responsibilities. Know the law and keep it. The fourth and final discourse that he gives here is chapters 32 through 34. And that is the reflections of a leader. Chapters 32 through 34, the reflections of a 
leader. If you've turned over there, you'll notice that chapter 32 may be called a song in your Bible. It may be called a song of Moses. Do you know that's not his only song? Do you recall back in Exodus, we did not emphasize it this morning, but in Exodus chapter 15, after they crossed the Red Sea, Moses sings a song in Exodus 15 about the wonders of what they've just done. But at the end of his life, in chapter 32, he sings another song of sorts, and it's that reflection of, my time has come, and my life is about to be over, and here's what I would say. Chapter 33 is also offset in my Bible. I don't know if your type is offset because it's a type of blessing that he gives here to the people. The reflections of a leader on what he has done. And so, in chapter 34, he dies on Mount Nebo. Moses carries with him a very interesting post-death note. Because in chapter 34, in verse number 6, it says that God himself buried Moses. And he buried him in an unknown location. We don't know where that is, but uh, exactly, the exact spot, but we do know that he himself buried Moses. And so he has lived his life, he's spoken these messages, and it, the book begins and ends with the children of Israel. I don't know if I put another map up or not. Yeah. Begins and ends with a uh, map of the children of Israel at the Jordan River. Now, this is the one I've been looking for all morning. I couldn't remember where I had it in my slides. Uh, but this is the one that kind of goes above the red line on the previous map. You see in that yellow circle there that that is the place where they camp in the black dot on the right-hand side of the river. And just to the left of that, uh, or under that yellow circle, is Jericho. So they're camping on the east side, and some of them stay there. In fact, right below the circle, you see a black dot, and it says Mount Nebo. That's where Moses dies. Then they're going to cross the Jordan River and they're going to take Jericho and they're going to enter the Promised Land. The Promised Land is everything from the Jordan River over to the Mediterranean Sea. You can already see on that map Jerusalem in the middle and Bethlehem and Shiloh and Bethel and Joppa, which we'll read about when we get to Paul, right, in the New Testament. All these are places that we know because this is Canaan's land. This is the Promised Land that they're going to enter and they're going to take. The last chapter of Deuteronomy details the death of Moses and actually he's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 9 the passing on of the full spirit of wisdom to Joshua. When we think about Old Testament great characters of the Bible Joshua is the next one that we come to. After all this time and all this promise we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and we think about Abram God makes the promise to Abram. This has been a month or so ago now, and maybe even more than that, a week or two longer than that, but we talked about the seed promise, the land promise, the nation promise. All that said to Abram is now being fulfilled, or some of it being fulfilled here, with them entering the promised land and being ready to do that. Thank, thankfully, due to Abraham, Isaac, the patriarchs, due to Josh, or excuse me, Joseph in his role, getting them to Egypt, and as we talked about today, Moses taking them from Egypt on that journey toward freedom and toward the promised land. I hope that these may have been somewhat encouraging to you uh, to think about as we've thought about these lessons because it just helps cement for our minds the place in history and where they, the people stood. But as we emphasize this morning, there's already some good information that lays the foundation for the coming Messiah that lays the foundation for the coming way of being saved, including that deliverance by 
water that we touched on this morning. We're thankful for all of these lessons that guide us, that give us an idea of who God is and how he's interacted with his people, and we're thankful for the chance to study them. As we conclude this lesson this afternoon, we will sing a song of invitation here in just a moment to encourage you. I know it's kind of separate from the thoughts that we've just looked at. It doesn't exactly have a whole lot to do with it in one sense, but maybe you've heard something today. Maybe it's even been something that you've been talking about with someone. You've just been thinking about your life. If you're here and you're not a child of God, we sing first and foremost to encourage you because that's the greatest decision that one can make to become a child of God, be added to the church, and to begin to live faithfully. Many of you here, though, have done that. Brother or sister, maybe you need to come back to him. Uh, maybe you stand in need of forgiveness of sins, and we would love to pray with you and for you. Maybe you need uh, help. Uh, maybe you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters to walk with you through a, a season of difficulty, of stress, of worry, of, of maybe even a lack of a faith in your own life. That's okay, because we've been blessed with an opportunity to sing to encourage one another that we can be back on the right path with God, as we'll do now as we stand together and as we sing.